This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Each week, we'll be talking story with grassroots community organizers at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Over this series, we're featuring the 30 grantees who received community-raised funds through the Hawaii People's Fund this year. It's our biggest cohort to date, and we're so excited to share their stories with you. Today, we're speaking with Claire Apana, Cody Nema Tuivaiti, and Ui Hota from Malama Kakanilua. Malama Kakanilua is fighting a legal battle to halt the further destruction of Maui's geologically unique sand dunes. This destruction has led to the desecration of Ivikupuna, who are buried in these sand dunes. Maui has seen significant loss from the unethical and illegal land development and sand mining for export by local and foreign investors who have made huge profits. In this interview from April, Auntie Claire and Cody share about the struggle to protect these storied sand dunes and the burials lying within them. Oh, okay, if we start with a little pule. Sure, go ahead. Mahalo for that pule. Um, so today we're speaking with Malama Kakani Lua. Could you each introduce yourselves and tell us about your involvement with Malama Kakani Lua and how the organization began? Sure. I'll start first. Um, Malama Kakani Lua really started in 2007 and I actually um, started the organization so that we would be taken more seriously when we were testifying and doing presentations, advocating for the um, continued sand mining and desecration of our ancestors in the sand dunes of um, Wailuku and Waikapu, Maui. And we made many presentations to different um, agencies at that time and we wanted to be taken serious, seriously. The, the name Malama Kakanilua refers to the Battle of Kakanilua in which all of the family lines of Hawaii were present, Makainana and Ali'i. And in the beautiful sand dunes, every single family probably had people who died in this battlefield because it was so extensive. And this battle was covered up just as our history and the um, the ano of the Kanaka is covered up now. Um, we fight to bring the truth just as we fight, fought to bring the truth of this battle forward. And so, so it's an aptly named Malama Kakanilua and um, so I, I am the founder and the president president at this time, the Pelikikena, and um, Coco is 
one of the board members, but he is in particular to this grant with the Hawaii People's Fund. He is the one who brought this project to our attention. And so I'll let Coco introduce himself. So aloha mai. O kore neme tui veiti koe noa kula kai mai au. Uhana o ia au ma upolu samoa. Uhale le vau ia upolu i Hawaii kouvali ili'i. Uhana ia au ma mamaui Kamoku wahe ame kamoku kulakai. So basically, aloha, my name is Konine Metuivaiti. A lot of people know me as Koko. Um, I was born in Samoa, raised here in Hawaii, hanai by Takale Kaiohana, Nakinohana, and raised in Wahe and Kihe. I first got involved with. Um, Malama Kakani Lua, maybe about four or five years ago. And really never got involved in any other um, I never really got into involved in any other organization or any other um, did any other kind of fighting for Hawaiian rights or anything like that before, but what really had caught my attention was this picture that I came across of a barge that was covered in sand and the tractors I remember were so small and it, it made me realize that there was enough sand on that barge to like pretty much like cover a beach and I had never seen anything like that before and it it really made me think that they were taking a large piece of like the Na'au of Maui, you know, and then came, then I kind of started to research in and my friend was the one who posted that photo. So I called him and asked him like, hey, hey, where'd you get that? And he told me, oh, my auntie, my auntie's the one who's been fighting for these sand dunes and they've been taking barges of sand like that for years. And that just kind of blew my mind. So you know, I started thinking about it a little bit and I was like, I felt like inside of me that I really needed to kind of see that, you know, I, I needed to learn more about what was happening. So I reached out to my friend to have him give me his auntie's number, which was Auntie Claire. And she invited me to come to do a site walk in the area. And it kind of kind of went from there, you know, the more I got involved, the more I learned about um, what was happening within um, the sand dunes, what was happening, you know, within Hawaiian issues as a whole. And it was kind of like a rabbit hole, you know, once you kind of get in there, it, it opens up to this huge kind of ordeal of everything that is happening within the islands. And um, yeah, I've, since then I've been a part of a lot of things. I, um, now part of the Ahamoku Council in Kulakai, which is our moku over here. Um, starting to go to school now to learn more about um, how I can advocate for these things, doing a lot more restoration work. And yeah, I feel it's really important for those of us who are raised here and who have um, 
seeing a lot of these places change, you know, and through our lifetimes, our memories, and now we realize the history, we're starting to realize the history behind it and the, and the importance behind um, this place we call home, basically. So, mahalo. Thank you for sharing about that. Auntie Claire, could you share about the sand dunes now? You know, any mo'olelo about the Ivi Kupuna buried there and how you first became involved in protecting them? I actually am born and raised in the sand dunes of Wailuku. So I live in a residential area that is on the burial grounds of the sand dunes. Um, so for me, this is home. But what I didn't know was that it, that where I live is a burial ground. And not until they started doing some of the construction from the 19, 1990s up until present did, I, did we feel the effects in our neighborhoods of plowing through our Ibikupuna and desecrating them, literally uh, digging them up and often finding them in pieces. Um, but the history of this area was also not known to me, although I grew up here. And it's not known to most people who live in Maui that this was the site of the last, one of the last hand-to-hand -hand battles in Hawaii. And it involved Kalaniopu Pu'u and Kahikili and warriors from not only Moko Okeavi in Maui, but uh, Oahu and Molokai and the surrounding areas because what was really happening was a struggle for control of all these islands. And this battle went back and forth for many, many years. And interestingly enough, where we are advocating at this time, one of our projects is the Grand Wailea. And this is where the battle started. This is where one of the places that, that Colonial Pu'u from Moko Okeave, the big island, they got off their canoes and they started to, to uh, battle with the people in South Maui in the what would be the McKenna Wailea area. And so historically, this struggle that we are having to protect Ibikupuna and has um, taken us all the way to the beginning, the beginning place of this battle. And the battle comes across the sand, across the plains of Maui, across the sand dunes, and ends in the sand dunes, as was planned by Kahikili, to end the battle by trapping the army of the Moko Okeave in the sand dunes because sometimes you're walking along a sand dune and then you look down and you may be 200 feet up and where you were it was flat and now you're two, on a 200 foot sand dune and they trapped this army inside the sand dunes and closed the rear and they say as in closing the sluice gate of a fish pond, they trapped the army and there they all perished. They two people 
on the first day who they let go to tell the rest of them. The second day, all of them are fighting and it's a battle that really no one's going to win. And uh, Keowa, who's very famous for from Pu'ukohola, the um, cousin of Kamehameha, who was the heir apparent to Kalania Pu'u, um, is taken across the sand by his uncles to go to Kahikili, who is also an uncle of his, to make peace. And there they cry and they, and they lament. And in the end, um, Kahikili allows them to go. So this battle ends in the greatest um, mihi, the greatest forgiveness. And this is what we at this time try to bring forward is to bring the peace back to this area. Because there's many battles that go on here and most of them with development and the preservation of our Evie. I'm sure it's a long and complex story, but I'd love to hear about the legal battle that you've been going through. Yes. This is the first contested case that Malamaka Kanilua has ever gone through. And believe me, most contested cases do not last two and a half years. We're still not finished. And we actually started a half year before that. So we're, we've been in it for nearly three years. And the, the whole reason we're doing this is to protect our Ivi Kupuna. So Coco brought this to our attention because he was concerned that one of the things that they, uh, that was said to the hotel developer by Kanaka at some point was, why don't we just build a bigger burial preserve? And he thought that was absolutely wrong way of thinking. And we agreed. And what we have found in these years is um, so many environmental violations, so many things that are going into our ocean that have caused this area, which was once a great fishing area, to become void of what was once the rich ocean resources, but also it was a big cover-up of what happened to the people here. There, this is not just an area where there were few burials. This is an area where there were hundreds to thousands of people buried in a small area. And why did that happen? Because one, diseases. Two, um, it's one of the few sandy places to land your canoe. And so the battles that ensued from that. And three, it's uh, sandy soil. For some reason, this is one of the places where you find just this concentration of burials. Uh, it, it has been, uh, for us, very emotional because we went through this, this um, contested case during COVID and we were made to go out and get our research 
and get prepared during COVID when it was first closed. And although we protested, because most of us are not not really young people. And so we were in that that age group, but they still forced us to go out and get prepared for this case when everybody else was told stay in. And we protested and they said, too bad, just keep going. And then the hearing officer said, nobody can come to the, your case, including the members of your groups. They're not going to come. This will be a closed hearing. And that is totally against what a contested case is. This contested case is the chance for the public to be able to say something, to bring out facts. And so this case went to the Supreme Court to get a decision on whether you could actually close a contested case. And the Supreme Court kept our case open. So before we even started, all of this has happened. And as we, as we went along, we were able to have three PhD archeologists help us to go through all the documents, to go through the research and to see how things were done at this hotel, to know who is still in the ground, unprotected, by any report, who has been taken, how many Evie have been taken, that's our burials, Evie, off the, off the site, and who is in the preserves where they are going to build a building right next to them, and they think it's okay. So we are fighting for the preservation and protection of our Evie and for the respect. These people, who were buried here have not been respected at all by this development, by the owners here. And if we allow it, our whole community of Maui is not respecting the people who were buried here forever. So here we are, we go through our first four days of our contested hearing. Um, with our many experts who have volunteered their time and it closes. We get to the point where we have given our findings of fact. This is what happens. The two lawyers make their findings of fact. Then the hearing officer takes it and makes her findings of fact. Six months pass and there is no um, finding of fact from the hearing officer. And the hotel then asks to reopen our case so that they can put in more evidence. They want to do a Kapakai survey, which is um, seeing if there are any cultural practices, if there are any traditional practices going on, and will they be impacted? We could absolutely not let them tell us what our practices are and how we are affected. And so we did our own study so that we wouldn't be, this happens all the time, by the way, that the development, the developer will then tell you, this is how you're affected. This is what happens to you. And we were not about to let that happen. And this is where the Hawaii People's Fund came in and we asked them for help because 
we had not budgeted to to have our case reopened. We had not budgeted to do one of these studies. I found out now that a study like this could cost a hundred thousand dollars easily, and we did it on our sweat and um, the good graces of many people and the assistance that we got from the Hawaii People's Fund in being able to afford some of the legal fees and the uh, the fees to make the report. And I think we did a heck of a job making the report. And so when we got to the second part where the findings of fact are are again turned in, we're now six months past that. And here we have the planning commission saying, okay, hearing officer, let's let's cancel you and get somebody else unless you can finish this report. You can finish your findings. And to our objection, we say, this has happened in other cases. They bring somebody else in, they read the transcripts and make a decision that is usually against the plaintiffs that have brought the case forward because they never got to hear us talk about our kupuna. They never got to hear us tell about how people have lost the place where many people in Maui have took their families to go camping every weekend and fish. They never get to hear about how it feels to stand and fight for your ancestors, knowing that what's in the future for them, if this goes through, is to be plowed up one more time when while an archaeologist watches and says, oh, stop if you see a burial. And then SHPD will come and say what happens to that burial, not the burial council, SHPD will. State Historic Preservation Department, and not our descendants. They won't be able to say what happens to the EV. We we stand there powerless. So this is, we think, the best place to start to make our stand. And we, we really thank the all the assistance that has been given to us, as well as the in incredible spiritual mana that we have received from our kupuna and the many helping hands. I have to say, we're still standing and I'm really proud of that because Blackstone, the owner, is the largest, one of the largest private investment firms in the entire world. And here we are, three little Kanaka groups, but <laughs> loving our ancestors and standing with them. It really sounds like such a long and exhausting process with such a huge opponent, too. I wanted to ask, uh, another dimension of this is the struggle over sand mining. And Cody mentioned earlier seeing the photo of a barge full of sand being taken away. Could you tell us about the sand mining in Maui and give us a sense of the scale of the operation? Well, well let me let me tell you something and then we should let Coco have, have, have a say about the sand mining since he... Again, it was Coco who kind of started the ball rolling on the opposition to the sand mining also. I'll just tell you that right now, there's no sand mining going on in the inland sand dunes because of, one, our opposition, but what our opposition did and the lawsuit we did was show that 
there is a zoning law that the county of Maui has been breaking all these years, which prohibits the movement of sand or um, resources that um, that the the resource of the sand to be moved from where it lays. And so, right now, there's no sand mining here. And but I will tell you something very interesting for all because you have more people from Oahu is that they do beach replenishment projects and there's one going on at Sugar Beach, which is in Spreckelsville. And that sand that they're using to put on the beach that doesn't belong there ends up in our reefs is coming from Waianae. <laughs> so um, I don't know how the people of Waianae will feel when they find that out, but I just found that out and I'm appalled. So right now we're safe with our inland sand and we are very wary watching the developer. But maybe Coco wants to tell you a little bit more about what his feeling is. I feel like Auntie Clay is giving me a lot of credit, but um, you know they're the ones who really have been doing it for many, many years. Um, I happened to be there on that first day actually where I met with Auntie Claire and we went up to the sand dunes. And that was the first time I ever seen, because you don't realize when you're in Wailuku, how much sand was there or how much sand is there because everything is overgrown. Not until you, you peel it back, are you really able to see that all of Wailuku was sand basically. And even the, the rivers that used to run through, like if you can imagine the topography, um, it was, it must have been a site that was unlike any other throughout the islands. It was basically rivers and lo'i through dunes of sand, you know? And, um, you know, as we're walking through the Kiave and the Haulikoa, we finally come to this area that is just opened up and bare of this huge area where they've been sand mining. And then you see the um, the magnitude of inland sand here in, here in Maui. And just so happened as we were walking and Auntie Claire was sharing the molelo with me, I was like, hey, what is that guy doing? And had one guy right down there uh, went on excavator, excavating sand. There was nobody else around him. So there was no monitor in sight, but I didn't know anything at the time. I just decided to take a video, but ended up that video was one of the main evidence that was used in, in the case. And I even had to go to court and testify on behalf of that, that evidence. So I was, you know, I felt like I it felt like I was meant to be there at that time to get that footage, even though that footage was argued against from the other side. Um, it did give way to a lot of questioning and a lot of, um, I feel, legislation to kind of be looked at in, in the terms of what is to be done with, with sand mining, you know, here in Maui. With um, the Grand Wailea, being that I was a part of the Ahamoku Council, we get the opportunities to sit down with um, 
developers who are um, proposing expansions on hotels and things like that. So I was able to sit in early on with the, um, the proposal for that expansion on the Grand Wale Hotel. And knowing the history behind the EV that I've been, that I've kind of, that I've came out of the Grand Wale, I felt it was urgent and a part of my duty as a, um, as a member of the Ahamoku to bring it up to the um, Native Hawaiian organizations like Malama Kakanilua. So that's kind of what got that ball rolling as well. But Auntie, you know, maybe you can let them know like um, how long they've been they've been mining sand out of Maui. The very first project that ever took down a sand dune, the sand dunes. This this uh, sand dune section is twelve and a half half miles long, by the way, and it goes all the way across the neck of Maui, all the way up into North Kihei. So the very first one was near Ma'alaya and it was called Pu'uhele. It was taken down to help build a road during World War II. And the saying was, you've never been to Maui until you've walked around Pu'uhele. But they just took it down. And that was the first one. And the all-out sand mining released started more in the 90s and in, that was with um, A and B's company H HCNS and um, they did a study an archaeological study to start and the archaeologists recommended do not sand mine here because you will definitely find um, burials so they did and what they found were burials. And you see the pattern of the sand mining where they go this area and then, oh, we find burials. Let's move to the other side. They move to the other side, they find burials. And you see the pattern going back and forth and the buffer zones getting smaller and smaller and they start mining between the buffer zones. So I think it was 62 acres and they were able to kind of sand mine on about 16 acres where they didn't hit more actual osteological um, remains, you know, where there were actual bones. So, so much has gone, but I mean, I thought maybe you would find it interesting. We just went to the burial council. And um, if I might introduce our newest board member, our secretary and treasurer, um, Ui Hota, she, this was her first time coming to a burial council. And I think that if you've never been to a burial council, you're never quite prepared because you think that, that uh, this is the place for Kanaka. This is the place Kanaka get to say, and to be heard, but the way it is somewhat structured is very much Western. And, um, but maybe we could have Ui share since she came today with us. Aloha. I'm born and raised here in um, Maui, the Haina site. But a, about a year ago, um, 
for some reason, my kupunas was calling me. I have kupunas are buried down at Honolulu Bay, and they're close to, to the shoreline. So with all the Puamana erosion and they being exposed, for some reason, my kupunas kept coming and coming. So I was looking for a group that I could, you know, go and learn with. And then I came across the Ahomoku Owayuku, which Claire is a part of, and Kaniloa. And then also, you know, got introduced to Malama Kakanilua, which I'm so happy I'm a part of now. So I've been going and watching the, the Maui Lanai Island Burial Council meetings for a year. And I have to say, my first meeting, my impression was like, oh, my gosh, they're dysfunctional. I mean, these are the people I supposed to entrust my, you know, sharing and telling my secret that, you know, I have secret burials here at our property, you know. But my kapunas kept pressing me, pressing me, you know, to come forward. So my first... um Face-to-face encounter with the council was uh, this past Tuesday on the 20th. And already it's dysfunctional to me. I mean, already I'm like scared, you know, I don't know what to expect. And then, you know, the council, they took 10 minutes to introduce each one of themselves over all their biography. Then it came to presentation where... The developer, the developers are present, present, uh, presenting, and they get to take as long as they want to. They're not told, you know, oh, how long more is this gonna take? So after all of that done, and we get up, and it's our turn to to present. You know, about thirty minutes into our presentation, you know, we're already asked, you know, when are you gonna end? And and uh, you know, uh, because we want that, we're going to close the meeting at 12. And so we're only going to have X amount of time for, for testimony. And for testimony, you're only allowed three minutes. I don't, I, I don't know. How, how can that happen where we only get three minutes? You know, developer gets endless and the council get to talk about themselves, where they've been, what they do, you know, and then we're like just shoved again, like our Evie, we're shoved in a corner and silenced, you know, I, it was so uncomfortable. I've, I really felt attacked when I, when I went up and I, I wanted to leave, but in me, I said to myself, no, if I leave, you know, my kapuna loses, you know, and I can't let that happen. You know, I'm going to tolerate this. And it, it's very discouraging. However, you know, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. We, uh, we need, I mean, this goes way deeper than just developers and everything, you know. It, it's something in our system needs to change, you know, and we need the help of the governor to make uh, stricter laws for Shipti to follow that allow us to advance forward. We're just being kicked back every time we're up there and we have everything 
that we need, we're being sent back. That's how I feel. We're being kicked back. You know, no, you need something else, or or they just ignore you. That happened to me. I appreciate really the way that Ui uh, feels because for many years we've been testifying, and it seems as as much as the burial council may want to do something, stop a development, stop a desecration, it seems that they are able to make a recommendation. They are able to um, recognize descendants, but how strong is their opinion and who will back them up? And I think we feel all of these things, you know, we feel all of these things when we go to go to burial council. Um, but we, I think as Ui said, our kupuna lose if we give up. And so mm -hmm. we weather through many things, getting to a certain point where we hope that we Kanaka will be able to speak for our own burials as they do on the continent in many native um, tribal situations they're the ones who speak for their ancestors. And um, I'd say that this, this, this last council was a momentous one, in my opinion, because the council actually made motions which could offer protection to our burials. The first motion was no more ground disturbance except with one exception that the necessary grease interceptors that need to be installed to stop polluting. But other than that, no ground disturbance. That's huge. Second, buffer zones on the burial preserves will be recognized and notated and they will be set by the burial council, the descendants, and the descendants are representatives of the family, of the people who are there in the preserve. And so I think this was a, a very big step to take and to say, we just have to find the way to make it happen, make it true. And there was one more, one more part to this. In the Grand Wailea, which is the reason we, one of the reasons we came is we know that there's more Ibi Kupuna here. We know that Ibi Kupuna are being threatened in the preserves themselves. And we know that they've been taken off property. But we've never been able to get the archaeologists or the developer to tell the truth and document this. You know, most of this information comes from the records of the hotel's archaeologists, but they've never put them down on paper so that we came 20 years later and we can read the report, we can read what happened to the ancestors there. And this is something we've asked them for from the beginning. And the burial council said that all 
um, burials that are on property, taken off property, or in other dispositions will be documented. And that is really huge because Essex State Historic Preservation Department also did not ask for that. And we have been asking them to ask for such a simple thing. Do your documentation correctly. Do your documentation truthfully and document every Evi Kupuna that has been desecrated, moved, or is still there so that we can protect them and find them. So thank you for letting us tell you that. I mean, you know, we hope that this will be part of the legal um, uh, advocacy that we're doing. And we, we in fully intend to make the burial council's um, recommendations stand. And, and what we're doing today would really, really help us. So thank you so much for helping us get the word out. Mahalo for speaking with us today. It's really such an important struggle that you've been working on for so long. I really hope we can spread the message and get more people to know about this. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me. And me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Production of this podcast is supported by a fellowship from Princeton University. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening.